If you don't see a vulnerability in somebody, you're probably not relating with them on a very personal level. Jonathan Blow, Indie Game Movie. Thanks for listening to Game On Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. And today we'll be talking to Matt Kangelosi and Mike Gnade with Indie Game Stand. We have a great conversation with them about indie games and their website and the service they provide. So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game On Girl. Today we have the honor of speaking with Mike Gnade from Indie Game Stand. A new indie game is available for sale on Indie Game Stand every four days. You can satiate your inner gamer with new titles twice a week. And the deals can't be beat, really. You have the option to pay what you want or what you think the game is worth, essentially, for this 96-hour window. So thanks so much for being on the show, Mike. We're so glad to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. So how did you guys get started with Indie Game Stand? Well, um, just like a lot of indie games, the process took a whole lot longer than uh, we anticipated. <laughs> um, I, I guess I came up with the idea at the beginning of uh, 2012, around January. And the idea sort of sprung from uh, me, myself, being an avid video gamer and just all these bundle sites and copycat bundle sites i felt like you know i was rebuying the same game over and over again mm. and that a bundle in and of itself doesn't really market any particular indie game it just sort of puts a bunch together and sells itself you know on the shoulders of the other games sort of working together which is a good thing mm. but um you know indie developers really need the chance to um control their own destiny and sort of market their own game for their own purposes. Right, and sort of highlight their game rather than being part of a package of five games that somebody buys right. because they know one title in it. Right, like mm -hmm. just as an example, when any of these bundles go on sale, you rarely hear about every game in the bundle. You just hear about, you know, the next so-and-such bundle is out. You mm -hmm. know, the next Indie Royale bundle is out. The next Humble bundle is out. Did you get it? And maybe one or two of the most popular games which are already pretty successful are mentioned. So I really wanted to sort of take the pay what you want concept from some of those sites and combine it with some of the more, I guess, mainstream sites that are out there like Groupon and Living Social and stuff that really feature one business or one deal, you know, mm -hmm. every so often. Um, so I sort of mashed the two ideas together and uh, back in January came up with the idea. And then I actually had a mock-up of what the site looks like pretty much today, you know, by February. Um, but wow. Then, yeah. But then coding, coding the thing took a whole lot longer than it just... <laughs> yeah, I've spent a little time on the website. I can imagine that it did. <laughs> Rhonda's our resident um, computer nerd. Yeah, so <laughs> that took a lot longer than anticipated. And actually, just now, just this week, we've started sort of tweaking some of the things that we've had on our agenda to do, like since the site launched. You know, we're just trying to tweak and add some additional pages and cool things that we always sort of wanted, but just never got around to. Cool. Awesome. So you guys are pretty young. Oh yeah, we're we're not even six months old yet. So wow, awesome. Oh, yeah, we launched back in September of 2012. Cool. September of 2012. Okay. All right. I, I misunderstood. I just said January. Well, that makes my next question kind of moot because I was going to ask if you guys had been at PAX East before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the answer is a no. This was our first time. Uh, it it sort of coincided. Like I said, we launched September 2012, so I came up with the idea in January 2012. But then. It took the nine um, months for you to get yeah, it together. Yeah, it took approximately nine months to get everything ready to go. And 
you know, our first game went on sale September 26, 2012. So we had sort of like a pre-launch phase, but the site and the deals really didn't start coming until September 26th. So yeah, that was obviously our first PAX East since, uh, you know, we had about three or four months to sort of get all that stuff in and arranged once we finished, you know, once we launched. Right, right. Well, how do you think PAX went for you guys? Was that a successful trip? Yeah, um, that's actually um, a debate that uh, me and my co-founder, Dan Liebner, have been having uh, recently. I think it was incredibly successful. Um, I think uh, it's important for us to have a presence there. And I hope to do PAX Prime in sort of a bigger way where we can better represent indie game developers. And instead of just having three PCs with all the games, you know, with the 12 games sort of all on them, I'd really like to have 12 PCs each with one game on them and have sort of more a much more organized thing where you can sort of wait in line for the game that you want to play. And, you know, Dan, uh, you know, isn't sure that the expense of flying out to Seattle and everything will be worth it. But, you know, he's very analytical. Uh, you know, he's the programmer. You know, he's the primary programmer. Um, so he's very analytical and wants to quantify, you know, every dollar spent for PAX. He wants to quantify in some way as a sale uh, or a user acquisition. And I think that there's qualitative intrinsic aspects to going that, you know, can't be easily quantified as far as making connections, yeah. um, meeting people face to face and just having like, you know, meeting fans face to face, too. I think there's value in that as well. So, yeah, the, the exposure that we've we've experienced at PAX East and because we did a panel at PAX East. And so with the panel and with walking around and talking to people, it really does make a big difference. But it isn't something that is really easy for you to kind of put your finger on and say, OK, I can see this exact growth mark from. This right, exactly. Place. Like Dan wants to be able to say like PAX East caught. A, I mean, I don't know exactly what it cost us, but he wants to be able to like make a spreadsheet and say PAX East cost us three thousand dollars, you right. know, and we gave out this many keys, which got us this many users. And that equates to this revenue wise, and mm -hmm. it's either worth it or not worth it based on that, you know, figure. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think we can ever do that. So, um, yeah, I would think that would be hard to measure because of the um, ramp up time and whenever people try to get back to it. It's unless you decide you're going to measure for like a week or two weeks after packs and show that window as say, okay, these new people are the result of packs. I mean, there's just no way to tell. Right. So, I mean, I thought it was a big success. Um, our booth was certainly busy and um, I think we could certainly, you know, we were rookies. So I think that as far as a booth design thing goes, I think we had some really successful things and some unsuccessful things. I think our video really grabbed people and having a prize wheel was exciting. Um, but I think our video could have better conveyed what we did so we didn't have to reiterate, you know, sort of tell them ourselves, you know, we could have easily put indie game stand like a new pay what you want game every 96 hours in the video throughout when our logo showed up instead of just showing our logo, assuming what people knew who we were, you know, so little things like that, um, I think we could improve. But, you know, overall, I think it was a success. Uh, it's certainly much easier to do PAX East than PAX Prime since we're you know, based on the East Coast. I didn't get the feeling that they were rookies. Did you, Regina? No, not at all. <laughs> no, especially after visiting no. the website. I yeah. I thought you guys were pretty well established. Yeah, I did too. Well, yeah, it was our first PAX East and it was our first booth ever. So, um, Good job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, thank you. And those are and those are great lessons. And there's no way to learn those lessons unless you go and actually do something like PAX East. Yeah, you can't you, you can do all the planning you want, as you know, we learn too. you can do all the planning you want and have all these great ideas in your head. But you know, until you go and actually do it, there's no way that you can anticipate how it's going to turn out. So for something that was new for you guys, I think you did a really great job setting it up and, and displaying it. And we did. I don't remember the video, to be honest. I remember talking to you guys and and getting a sense of what you were doing from talking to people in the booth. So that was a good impression to make, too. Okay, good. Yeah. So, I mean, the impression I got at PAX, um, and I've been to Dragon Con, haven't been to PAX Prime, um, so I haven't been to any main gaming type cons, but I was very surprised and very uh, happy about the number of independent gamers that were at PAX. Is the reason you guys have come together, I mean, do you see something about the indie market that has got a future? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, as far as me personally goes, you know, when I was in grad school back in 2006, that's when I sort of discovered indie games and some of these independent gaming sites that were out there, you know, and just like the indie gamer forums and like TIG source and stuff like this. And uh, it actually negatively impacted my uh, grades in my last year of graduate school. But uh, <laughs> oops, <laughs> I, I was I was really drawn into um you know, the culture and sort of like everything that was going on with it. And that was when I sort of first discovered it. And at that time, it was a lot of casual games um, and the occasional sort of experimental game. And I just sort of stuck with it. And then when Xbox Live Arcade came around and we had some of these definitive indie games that sort of broke into the mainstream, like World of Goo and Braid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was excited about it, and um, I love both of those games uh, quite a lot. And that's when I became even more involved uh, in the in the indie gaming scene. You know, just by following it all these years and um, seeing these bundles and everything, I felt like this idea was a unique enough opportunity. Um, and it's sort of a unique enough take on what was out there that, you know, it could be successful and I could sort of hopefully make a living off of being sort of in the indie game space. You know, that's sort of why I did it. But at the same time, you know, working with indie game developers sort of has intrinsic values. You know, I could never have launched this site and gotten, you know, like EA or these huge companies signed up to put their game up for a pay what you want sale. You know, you know, when you're a new site and all you have to show people is sort of like a design um, you know, getting those first few developers signed up was was a difficult. Yeah. But because indie game developers are oftentimes, you know, just a one or two person team that you can sort of easily communicate with, um, it made that process a lot easier. Um, and then once the site launched, uh, and since the site's launched, you know, that process of getting indie game developers interested has become a lot easier. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like once you get get the ball rolling. <laughs> yeah, and I think people also, you know, I think it's like anything. It's sort of like, do you really want to be like the guinea pig, you know, right. for something? Or do you mm-hmm. want to see something that's established and you sort of get it? You know, you can see examples and, and you know, all that sort of stuff. So, Well, what do you think the position that the indie gaming market holds in the game industry? I mean, it's beginning to explode and it's getting popular. Where did this come from and what do you think sustaining it? And why is it there? Yeah, well, I think it came from... Um, I mean, certainly like the Independent Games Festival and people making games in their spare time has been around for a long time. But, you know, in the early days of like console gaming and PCs and everything, 
the tools weren't available for like the average Joe. Like there weren't tools like Unity and Flash, you yeah. know, when, uh, you know, Sega Genesis and stuff like that w was out. And now there's all these different tools and software and it's, it's sort of easy to make a game and computers are so much more powerful that are in your, you know, in your homes. And you don't need to be as, as sort of technical maybe as you used to when you had to like make a cartridge, you know, to put in a system. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think the tools have evolved. And I think the gaming industry in and of itself has evolved and gone from this thing that, you know, way back when was like, you know, for a bunch of like nerds who liked like Atari and stuff and has become pretty mainstream. Um, and it's become like a multi-billion dollar industry. And you have these huge blockbuster it sort of evolved like the movie industry evolved, you know. Now the movie industry has like these huge blockbuster summer movies and they have a bunch of independent movies uh, and they have like a bunch of like even indier movies that are like, you know, documentaries or short films and all that kind of stuff that are at the Oscars. And I think the gaming industry is sort of similar. We have these huge blockbuster titles like Call of Duty and, uh, you know, like Halo and Bioshock. And, you know, now we're getting, you know, these more indie sort of art, you know, just like you have art films, we sort of have like art games. And it's just filling a need because the market for gaming is so much bigger than it was. So do you guys vet the the games or the developers before you offer them on your site? Well, uh, we do. Um, our process has actually changed a little bit since GDC and PAX because I guess partly because those were so successful and we were meeting a lot more developers. But our goal really, um, I mean, besides offering our customers, you know, great deals and great games, our goal is to really help indie game developers do sort of the hardest part, which is marketing their game, you know, right now. Indie gaming has sort of evolved and we have, I mean, the gaming industry sort of evolved where we have these huge AAA studios with huge budgets uh, owned by huge multimedia corporations with huge marketing spend. And then we have this sort of middle range of indies or, or they certainly started out as indies and they've had success. So they now have money. <laughs> um, so games like, I mean, Minecraft, you know, which has more games than some AAA studios, you know, a game like Minecraft obviously started as an independent game, but now it's sort of hard to call that, uh, indie. you know, yeah. call Mojang indie because they've got mm -hmm. like m millions and millions of dollars and they're not really taking the risks that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously Notch did when he first started Minecraft of quitting his job and, you know, right. having no real income other than the fact that like, I'm going to make this game and try to make money off of it. Um, some of those sort of influences that make, or that at least that I think make indie games great and sort of different and artistic. So, you know, you do have some of the, you do have a lot of indies that are sort of in this middle ground now that are sort of like the bigger budget independent films, you know, like Silver Lines Playbook or something where they have major actors in them and cost millions of dollars still, but they're much smaller than like an Avengers movie. So we've got a lot of indie games like that that are sort of coming naturally out of the market. You know, it's getting segmented even more. And, uh, you know, if you're in the indie games community, there's a lot of debate over what makes an indie game indie. Yeah, if I you was... have so much money that can disqualify you automatically. You know yeah, I, mean? I was just thinking about that in terms of, um, well, I was, I was thinking about how the independent film community changed when big name studios got more interested in the success of independent films. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, with things like Sundance and, and how that changed, you know, filmmaking, independent filmmaking. Because the same thing yeah. happened in filmmaking where you had, you know, people who went and made, you know, low-budget films and then were successful and then would make another film and then they get into the main industry. Yeah. And so it it's curious to me, and I'll be curious to see and kind of watch 
how this evolves in terms of the game community, because, you know, I kind of have this theory about how sometimes success tends to not really do well for the creative process um, in terms of some of my favorite movies ended up like sequels and trilogies that ended up not being great the second time around um after the people who made them had more money to make them i felt like a lot of the heart kind of was lost out of those and it'll be curious to like watch some of these groups who have had more success like you said they start they stop taking as many risks because they're not in that position where they needed the risk to get started. So how is that going to impact how the games are made and the definition of an indie game or an indie studio as opposed to, you know, a triple A studio, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really interesting time to be in looking at it because it's sort of middle ground where you can see very clearly which, which studios are independent and who quit their job to start a studio and, you know, launch a new game, et cetera. And you can see those that have been more successful from it. So it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years how that kind of unfolds yeah. and if there's I mean, like rebellion associated with it too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's definitely where we are. I mean, you know, you can just see, you know, at GDC, you know, all the indie games festival finalists now automatically get added to Steam, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, I mean, that's the equivalent of sort of being an independent movie and getting major distribution to sort of all the theaters. Right, right. At that point, you're sort of automatically getting in front of enough eyes that if your game's good and people find it interesting and successful, mm-hmm. it'll sort of, you know, it'll be somewhat of a success for you. You know, I mean, that's sort right. of, that, that's definitely where we are as far as the industry goes. We're sort of evolving like the movie industry had, mm-hmm. you know, with Sundance. Well, what's your main role at uh, Indie Game Stand, Mike? Yeah, uh, my main role uh, is, you know, Dan is the core programmer, um, but I do have some programming skills. So I don't know if you visited our site recently, but some of the tweaks and, you know, the top games rankings page and the charity page that we sort of added this week um, were things oh. that I've done. Oh, those are nice. Yeah, yeah. I was looking and at it today. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll do little things like that, but my core role is sort of business development and game selection and approval. So I really work with the developers to get them into our developer portal. Usually that's pretty self-explanatory. Usually once they're in there and they watch our video, they, they can pretty much handle it themselves and get their game all set up. But I'm here if they have any questions along the way. Oh, and then okay. um, mm. once a game is submitted to actually be scheduled, everyone's involved at that point. But um, I would say I take the lead on a lot of the game approvals. But but we do try to sort of have a majority rule um, vote. So, I mean, I can be vetoed, but I would say my voice is a little stronger um, when it comes <laughs> to selecting games and everything, just because I've worked with the developers throughout the whole process. Well, I have to say that um, I've, I've used Steam, and that's probably the only desktop gaming system I've used uh, and by far yours is much easier to use I've never been so frustrated uh, with Steam in my entire life it's, even though I'm logged on and I have a gaming library it seems like every single time I go out there I'm, I struggle it's just not intuitive at all your site's very beautiful, and I registered today, and it was the easiest thing I think I've ever done. Uh, thanks. Um, I mean, we definitely <laughs> we definitely spent a lot of time uh, on all of that stuff. So Kudos. you know, and and you can certainly thank um, you know I worked with a design firm locally here in Philadelphia. I, I have done some of the design work ourselves. Um, our you know I mean we have we we had sort of a concept and a mock up from the design firm, but Dan and I both when we were sort of programming the site, you know, you come across things and you don't want to have to pay a design 
designer to make some small change. So you have to crack open Photoshop yourself. Um, so we've certainly done stuff like that in the past, but um, you know, I've got to give credit to Gigamite for taking sort of what we had, which was a little rougher around the edges and making it, you know, really beautiful with a great, with a great brand. Cool. Well, I, I know you're on the business end of things, but can you give me um, your favorite indie pick right now or the one that you're playing? Sure. Um, I mean, right now, um, you know, it's a pretty big week for indie games. Um, Monaco came out today, which is, you know, an indie game festival winner um, by Andy Schatz. Um, I think it won like two years ago, and the game's been in development for like four years. Oh, wow. So that mm-hmm. game came out today, so I've been checking that out. I guess a week ago or something, um, The Behemoth, which is, that studio is so successful, they're one of the ones that some people debate whether or not they're indie, but <laughs> in my book, they're still indie. They came out with Battle Block Theater last week, so I've been playing that. And then uh, Guacamelee, which is another pretty big uh, game, came out for PlayStation I think the same week as Battle Block. Yeah. Those are sort of the three indie games that I've been playing a lot recently. Uh, my favorite of the three is Guacamelee because it's sort of like Metroid. It's like a Metroidvania game, except it's like a brawler. So it's like a beat 'em up huh. brawler. Uh, and, you know, it's called Guacamelee because it's sort of Mexican, <laughs> Latin inspired. So um, oh, that's it has a really cool. cool, has a really cool, like bright and festive and fun art style as well. Cool. Uh, so that's my favorite of those three games. Looking back, like all time favorite indie games, you know, a game that, I mean, it certainly has interesting gameplay mechanics, but as I was playing it, um, you know, I enjoyed it, but it, I, it actually had a more of a lasting impression on me sort of after I beat the game and finished it is a game called Braid by Jonathan Blow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed playing through the game and thought it was fun and, um, I, I also liked now that I'm that I'm older and I don't have as much time. I, I appreciated that the game sort of respected my time and uh, you know was sort of over in a respectable amount of time. And I sort of felt like I experienced everything and I beat everything and I didn't need to sit here grinding away for hours to like unlock every last thing. Just the overall experience because of that and because of sort of the interesting story um, really left a lasting impression on me. And hmm. I think over time I've I've appreciated that game even more than probably when I originally played it. That's really Can't have a better commentary than that. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say that you know we we're thinking about part of what Mike said here about you know indie games being tending to be more artistic and tending to take more risks. I think that definition you just gave of of something having that kind of lasting impact on you is a good definition of excellent art just in and of itself because I think that that's what art should do you should have a you know you should be moved or or you should have an experience that you appreciated on multiple levels and it seems like Braid was able to do that for you yeah um and, and that being said one of the core things for me too lately that I've sort of come to realize and um you know big games are big AAA games are certainly bigger um culprits of doing this than than indie games but I find myself now when I'm playing a game, if I'm not like having fun every second that I'm like playing the game, I'm like, what? what's the point of this? Like, why should I play through this like, you know, epic AAA title if I'm not having fun like grinding through and playing through like these mm-hmm. levels, you know, these shooter mechanics or whatever. Mm, exactly. Um, so there's definitely, I've definitely gotten to a point where I will sort of put a game down or sell it on eBay or half.com if it just sort of has lost its appeal to me. And there's a lot of big budget RPGs and games and stuff that are, I mean, I know that there's people who just love that, just love getting 
sucked into a story and everything. But my thing is, you know, when I play games, I want to play a game and have fun playing the game. If I if I want a great story, you know, I'll read a book or watch a movie. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I think story can add to a game. It's just that if that's sort of all it has, if that's the only positive, um, you know, I, I find myself putting those games down, you know, more and more. I think Mike's already transitioned well into yeah. um, getting a little bit more into his personal gaming history, Regina. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. I was actually, the first question that came to mind for me as you were talking, Mike, was, uh, are you primarily a platform gamer or a PC gamer? Well, traditionally, um, growing up, my sort of, when I was a kid, um, you know, I'm 30 now, so the core... I grew up sort of playing uh, console games, um, and the reason that was mostly was because the computer I had when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, sort of in, in that time frame, the computer I had was a Dell 486. So every ah. new game that came out, I, I remember getting MechWarrior 2, 2 when it first came out, and uh, maybe that's part of the reason why I'm a decent uh, web coder. <laughs> um, because I spent about four hours in MS-DOS trying to get that thing to run. <laughs> uh, oh, you know, I you, remember you doing things that too. <laughs> you, know, you spend your allowance on this game and you're so excited to play it and you sit and work for four hours to just get it to run. And, you know, I was able to get it to run, but it never really played great. Mm-hmm. I think out of that frustration and, you know, just being young and impatient, I naturally gravitated to console games where it was like, you know, buy my Genesis cartridge, slap it in, you know, good to go. go Once I yeah. got back from like, you know, the toy store, or game store, or wherever. So I definitely always considered myself a console gamer um, growing up, and and I think that's still my preference. I like having a controller, and I like sitting in front of a TV. You know, we all spend so much time at our jobs sitting in front of computers, and it feels so much like work that I have a hard time coming home and playing a game in front of a laptop or. Um, even a desktop PC. I do like console games, just how it's very easy to you know get in and play the game. That being said, since discovering indie games in 2006, I have certainly started playing more and more PC and computer games. But it wasn't really until 2006 when you know you didn't need a top of the line PC to run the newest games. You could play these smaller independent games that had smaller graphics card requirements right. and everything like that. They weren't as demanding as some of the high-end yeah. graphics are, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was a whole other thing that sort of turned me off to PC gaming was the cost investment involved in keeping your PC up to date mm-hmm. with yeah. everything. So the, those barriers have sort of gone away now, so I do find myself playing PC more and more. Well, if we were, if you were to mention, say, just the, um, if we were to get a feel for the kind of games you like, any of the AAA type games that our listeners might know, what oh, are yeah, some of sure. those that are your favorite? Sure. Well, um, first of all, I just want to go on the record saying that uh, part of the reason I think I love indie games so much is because I grew up on Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, and... Uh, Yes, I even owned a Sega Saturn. Uh, I was a Sega Saturn guy instead of a PlayStation guy. And uh, I loved those games so much, um, those you know 2D games. And I felt like we sort of made the jump to 3D too soon. So oh. that's sort of what got me back into indie games so much because so many of these indie games are two-dimensional games that are influenced by the games I grew up playing. Yes. But, but they're like evolving the concepts and have better graphics but they're sort of maintaining the charm of those games that I grew up with. So, uh, you know, growing up, you know, 
games like Sonic the Hedgehog, Super Metroid, uh, Legend, uh, Secret of Mana, um, Chrono Trigger. You know, those are big games that, you know, when I grew up, uh, really influenced me a lot. And I'm also a huge fighting game fan. Um, I mean, Mortal Kombat 2, Super Street Fighter, um, Marvel vs. Capcom. I, I love fighting games because when I was young, you'd get together with a bunch of your buddies and you would just play Mortal Kombat, and whoever lost would just hand over the controller, and that was our version of like multi, massively multiplayer online. You know, you got ten <laughs> yeah. guys, and you just sort of pass the controller around. Yeah, massively um, multiplayer in a sweaty room. Yeah, yeah, in like a in like a kid's basement. Yeah. When I'm not playing like games on Xbox Live Arcade, PSN, or Steam, the games that I sort of buy and play, you know, the big console games that I've really liked in the past year. I'm a huge Halo guy. Halo sort of got me into online gaming. Uh, Halo 2, back when I was in college. I put a lot of time into Halo, and I'm pretty good at it. So that's sort of my first-person shooter. I really like the pacing of those matches. Um, I'm a huge uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 guy. And uh, this past year, um, I really, really, really liked the reboot of Tomb Raider. I thought it was oh. awesome. So uh, that's a that's a big game that I actually just recently beat, probably like you know in the past couple months. Yeah, I'm still playing it. Yeah, yeah I, I really, really like it. I, I was surprised because, you know, obviously I had the original Tomb Raider as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I thought it was, you know, for a big budget release that could have really screwed up, I thought it was awesome. I thought the game was just incredibly fun to play. And the the, the bow and arrow mechanics were just awesome. Yes, yeah, they are. Are you looking forward to Injustice? Injustice, what's that? Um, it's a, a comic heroes fighting game. Oh, is it like DC Comics? Yeah. I, I'm a Marvel Comics guy, so. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're a DC house. Oh, wow, you yeah, stepped yeah. into a, a big old controversy around us. <laughs> I'm a hardcore Marvel guy. Wow. So, um, that's why, I mean, I don't know. If it gets really good reviews, I'll probably check it out. But just, you <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, it's, it's a fighting game. I don't do fighting games, and it's been getting a lot of press lately. So Yeah, if it's, if it's you know, if it's sort of unproven, uh, I'll wait and see the reviews. Um, but otherwise, uh, yeah. you know, if it gets good reviews, I'll definitely check it out. Matt just hopped online. Oh, cool. Matt, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about your uh, gaming history and what your role is at Indie Game Stand. Okay, sure. Uh, my name is Matt Cangelosi. I'm from New Jersey. My gaming history, I mean, I've been playing games since uh, my grandfather gave me his NES I guess. Wait, like, your cool grandfather guy. gave you his NES? Yes, he had an NES. <laughs> now that's that sacrifice for the love of a grandchild. I'm yeah. sorry. I know, <laughs> but they came with the with the the laser gun and Mario for Duck Hunt, nice. and that was like, that's where it started, and uh, it pretty much just went from there. I mean, I have to mention my first online gaming experience was a game called Fantasy Star Online for Dreamcast, mm, best game yeah. ever. Um, I had that game. <laughs> um, and it's really just continued from there. My role at Indie Game Stand is uh, I'm very grateful to be able to do the be basically community manager, and I do some marketing and promotions and that kind of stuff. Mike and Dan brought me on when the little after the site launched, and it's been really awesome. Cool. Well, yeah, we're very impressed with the the service you guys are offering. It's it's such a great way to get games exposed and get people exposed to new games. I think. So, what was your impression of how things went after PAX? Oh man, I mean, not only was PAX amazing itself, but I, for me, I think myself, I was a little nervous. We weren't really sure how it was going to turn out. Um, I think Mike would agree. We kind of didn't really know if it was going to pan out the way we thought it would. 
Yeah, I told him we were rookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't realize you were quite so new, which which actually should be a compliment to you guys. When you know we were at your booth, we didn't realize it was the first time you had been there. Oh yeah, that we that was just we just were playing it by ear, mm-hmm. and we we went in with like a really crazy concept of like doing this wheel and excuse me taking pictures of people, and it was really fun, and a lot of people really liked it, and we gave out games and um and almost immediately we saw from what i saw was like a direct result of people seeing us at pax like i was getting emails like we were getting more people on our forums and you know at least from my side of things on the community end like people were really really engaged because i think we were like kind of like really friendly and like just come have fun here's some free games and please check us out you know oh uh, that that is another metric mike that that you can measures the the social aspect mm-hmm. of it yeah no doubt yeah, yeah um matt i was just telling them they sort of asked some of these questions before um and i was just telling them that you know i i think we were really successful with packs but you know dan's a little bit more analytical and wants to quantify exactly how much was spent and how much was made off of the event and i think there's sort of unquantifiable things like some of the things you mentioned like our forums being more active and us having opportunities and meeting developers directly you know what i mean like things like that well, that's how the indie that's how the indie stuff makes its way around anyway right. it's it's your users it's the it's a social online community it's extremely social and it, you you see something good you buy it for your friends or you tell your friends about it and then it just spreads and boy to be able to do that with 40,000 people in the room all at one time (laughs) no but it it did it did lead to some good you know connections and things I mean you know Matt's been working on marketing opportunities for us and actually just retreading this reminded me that I, I met with the Boston Festival of Indie Games which happens in like September one of the guys stopped by and talked to us and, you know, we're working on ways that we can sort of help them out with their Kickstarter and distribute their games that they're going to give away as part of their Kickstarter. And we're probably going to be a sponsor, you know, and have a booth up there for that one day festival, you know, come next September. So, you know, there are things like that, which can hopefully lead to, you know, more positive things and exposure, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, the more exposure, the bigger audience you get, the more people you have, you know, it's just, it all sort of builds on itself. So, all right. So, so, uh, since we were sort of in the, let's start talking about the, um, the game on girl questions. Well, we'll sure call them. Uh, let's start you guys both off with um, with the big question, and and I think this will be pr- particularly interesting, don't you think, Rhonda? Since they're sort of engaged more in the indie games. Well, it depends on the question. Oh well, you know what question it is. It's the big question. Don't yeah, be, don't be the, coy. The big, the, the big tough question. Well, yeah, because I mean, one of my questions, especially for. Uh, We've been talking to some people in the gaming industry that that are more on the business side than development side is how well they feel like that they know mm. their market and the gamers. So yeah, so this, this, right fo- into that. this folds into yeah. that. So how would you guys define a gamer? Mike, you wanna you wanna start that one? Off? <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, uh, it's a a gamer. Well, I think that's very hard to define because you're not putting an identifiable term in front of it and immediately when you said that i thought well i think there are hardcore gamers and casual gamers primarily Mm -hmm. um casual gamers are um you know probably the biggest growing segment of gamers and it's people who you know aren't into these super intense 
Fallout 3 League of Legends type games, and they're playing games on their phones and on Facebook. And, um, you know, they probably wouldn't even call themselves gamers, but in reality they are because they're spending hours of their day playing a game, you know, online, on their phone or, or wherever. You know, my wife is one of those people. She's like, oh, I'm not a gamer. And meanwhile, <laughs> you know, she's got, we pr- I probably spent $300 on Rock Band and Rock Band peripherals and songs, <laughs> uh, Dance Central stuff. And she plays songs uh, with her friends and challenges mm-hmm. people to that like every yeah. day. Yeah, on Facebook. she's a gamer. Oh, yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> And then hardcore gamers are more of the traditional sort of, they live and breathe games, especially competitive games, you know, and play it and fine tune their skills and play these sort of more advanced and intense uh, gaming experiences. Cool. We're not letting you off the hook, Matt. Nope. Oh, no, no. I I mean, (laughs) how much time do we have? (laughs) No, I completely 100% agree with Mike. I think think it even, for me, goes a little deeper than that. I think that the with the ability for casual gaming kind of going back to like when gaming was like cool like this is before my time but like it used to be cool to go to the arcade right now like if you go to the arcade you're a nerd <laughs> you know but now since like if you can this, find an arcade you can't, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <clears throat> excuse me i think that like with this whole uprising of like casual gamers it's kind of like brought that more into the mainstream which i think is awesome for not only indie developers, just the whole entire like interactive media scene. But for me, like the hardcore gamer, I mean, you can go. There's there's competitive gaming now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which I'm a huge esports fan, and that's I watch esports games more than anything else I watch in terms of like regular sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, when I was 14, my friends and I we all started building computers and. We have LAN parties, and we all play games every night of the week almost, and we're all doing different things. And I, I don't wouldn't say I'm a crazy hardcore gamer, but it's part of my social life as well. So, so it's yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's 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 more of like a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you have people that are yeah. into different kinds of lifestyles, and that a gamer for me is someone who integrates what they like to do as their hobby into their social environment now because it's so easy to do that right well that, that's that's interesting that sort of ties to what mike was saying too about his wife not wanting to call herself a gamer which is which is something that's that's very common i think especially with women um because the community has always been sort of or the stereotype of the community i should say has always been masculine you know in, t- in terms so you know sort of not wanting to associate with those ideas but you know things like rock band and dance central sort of reach a group of people and 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 make people socially interact in a way that they might not have otherwise and one of the things that you said matt that was really interesting about the idea about integrating it into your lifestyle i think that mobile games and indie games are sort of capitalizing on that that tendency like okay i can pick up my phone and i can play you know around a bejewel blitz or some some other game color sheep now which is uh, we had the the developer of color sheep on last week on the show so <laughs> you know i'll play a few minutes of that you know in between a bunch of other things i might be doing or as I'm waiting for class to start before I go to teach. So it becomes part of just an everyday thing that you do. And I think that it, it might not have been that way even just a few years ago. Well, what would you each say is the, if, 
you sit down with a game or you're considering buying it, what would you say is the most important aspect about a game you pick up to play? If you had to pick one. Now, now is this a game that, like, am I just, like, buying it without playing it, like, based on reviews? Or do I get to play it first, like, either download a demo or something? Yeah, it doesn't matter. What, what are you looking for in that game? A lot of the games I purchase, you know, for Xbox or Steam, I've read the reviews for, like, I'm a big Metacritic user. Or, or I'll watch a trailer for the game. I mean, that's how I make a lot of my decisions, especially around those games that are like 60 bucks. <laughs> you know, well, right? what are you looking for, though, in those reviews and in the uh, the videos? I mean, I'm looking for a high score. I mean, I guess I'm verifying that it's a genre that I like. You know, like, for example, like Forza and Gran Turismo get great reviews. Um, but I, I'm not a gearhead and I don't particularly like fine tuning cars. I'd rather play like a fun arcade racer or like Mario Kart type game. Mm hmm. Then like a Forza intense, like buy all these real parts and like fine tune the aerodynamics of your car. Like that's just not fun for me. Um, so like a game like that, even if it gets 100 percent, I'm just going to be like, eh, like I've I've played that type of game before and I know I don't really like it. Um, so, I mean, it's more games like genres that I know I like, like first person shooters and and uh, action adventure games, platformers. I mean, I like a lot of genres. I'll sort of look and make sure that, I mean, I, I pretty much look at reviews for mainstream, like AAA console games. Pretty much look for like a 90 or above, you know? Mm -hmm. And if it has a 90 or above, I'm willing to pay 60 bucks on, on it if it's a genre I like. Well, I was going to ask Matt um, mm -hmm. what he thinks about it in a game if you've got uh, avatar development that you can do. Is that something that you're attracted to or is that important with a game you play? A hundred percent, yeah. I mean, I I come from like like old school like RPG kind of thing. You know, like I really like I get like really emotionally involved with certain mm -hmm. games that allow you to do that, like role playing games or, or whatever. So yeah, definitely, definitely, hundred percent. I could care less about creating an avatar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of, I kind of wondered if you'd say that when you said you didn't like fine tuning the cars, if that kind of yeah. personalization I, wasn't of interest. I played, I played all three Mass Effect games, and I beat, you know, I beat the games, and my shepherd looks exactly like the shepherd in every video. I just <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm the other side of the thing. I want to make my avatar look like the most cool version of me possible. I think I've been doing that since, like, you could create an avatar in a game that I played. Yeah. That's funny. My brother's yeah. like that. <laughs> why, why? I don't know. I, I really don't know. But I, I, I think it just goes, like, along that, like, whole fantasy kind of thing mm -hmm. for role-playing, you yeah. know? It's an ideal. Follow, follow up with that, Regina, because, uh, yeah, find out some more about that. Yeah, I'm having a field day here in my head, at least. Um, did you guys have a chance to look at the gamer types that we talk about on the show at all? I, I, didn't. I, have, I, I have them right in front of me. Okay. Well, it, it's interesting because it, it's it's very common. Um, and and, and so, so when you're, Matt, when you're creating this avatar and you're you're looking to make a look like you, what, what are some of the considerations? Like, what are some of the physical considerations you're taking in you're thinking about as you're doing that uh, physical considerations yeah like, um, if you're trying to make them look like you what what are what are you doing in order to do that oh you know wow i never really thought about it like that that's making them like six five you know <laughs> bench press yeah because like i think i'm gonna try to make them everything that like i my perceived self would want to be right. i think yeah and not in like a, a sad depressing way but just like kind of 
it's it's really your only opportunity to do that. And as yeah. a gamer, like you, it, it comes naturally. Be like, oh, I'm making my avatar. Like I'm gonna make myself cool. Like right. I'm a short guy. You're right. I'm gonna make myself tall. Right. Right. You know. And uh, I'm not like, yeah. oh, I wish I was tall, but it's just kind yeah. of a reflection. You just, yeah. You want to see what the experience is like. We have um, yeah. one of our first interviews, and our our editor actually Ryan uh, talked about he's very tall. In, in the physical world, he's very tall. And so he almost always plays uh, short races in game. That's crazy. Yeah. That's <laughs> so wow. it's it's a really interesting, I, I, I look at that as sort of like the anti-self gamer, where, where you want the experience you don't have in your physical world. So you have it in your online world and in your game world. And it's still an expression of who you are. And I, I think I'm going to venture to say, Matt, that you're probably a self gamer. Um. No, just, he's mastery. You think? Oh, I kind of identified with all. I said that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of identified with all these in some way. And and that and that's very common too. There's you know yeah. and different games people will identify more as self gamers or more as mastery players. And actually, a lot of the casual games or a lot of mobile games that I play, I'm very much a mastery player. Like I yeah yeah yeah, yeah. win and get that game. You know, but in in role playing games, I often even even totally unbeknownst to me, like when I started doing the research and I looked at the avatars I had made at different points in my World of Warcraft experience, like my first World of Warcraft avatar looked just like me. She had the exact haircut I had at that time, the exact color and all that. And then I, when I colored my hair and I changed my hair color, I made a new character that had my same hair color. And I hadn't even like made the connection of, oh, I'm making myself like doing it. Like I hadn't thought about it until, you know, way later in the process. So I think it's a very natural thing for people to do. So. I, have a, I have a question for you. Sure. I don't even know if there's an answer to this. What do you, what is like, for a guy, like for a guy, like I've made plenty of female avatars. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to be a female. Right. But my first World of Warcraft character was a female rogue. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't my even know Diablo why. My first Diablo 2 character was a female rogue. There you go. Yeah. Well, that you could only have a female rogue. <laughs> have a female. It's been years since I played that. Not to get specific, but yeah. you know what I mean? Like that That also is a, is a very different thing that I can't even begin to try to understand. I, I don't even know if that's common for oh, people to do. Yeah, for, for men to make female avatars, it is it is very common. Is it popular for females to make male characters? It, or is that... It, well, that was actually the question, one of the questions that I went into my dissertation research asking, uh, because I knew we had a lot of statistics. There were a lot of studies that had been done about gamers, you know, in sort of broad sense that were, you know, biased to male gamers and had more male gamers involved. And at the time, it was something like the statistics that one researcher had found were something like a third of the female avatars in World of Warcraft were male gamers. That doesn't surprise me. I don't, yeah. You know, yeah. if you if you've played World of Warcraft, it's not surprising at all. <laughs> no. yeah, actually, when I'm looking at these things and I'm and you know we're talking about this, I, I'm actually thinking that it sort of depends on the type of game yeah. that I'm playing because I'm more likely to like I did when I I mean I was much younger obviously, but when I played Diablo two, not only was my character like the female rogue character, but my like login blizzard, whatever it was called back then to like log online was like a female name. Right. And people used to ping me all the time thinking I was female just because like yeah. I named the character. Like the online ID I picked was like for the character, you know, in Diablo right. 2. Right. Um, Interesting. And but, you know, like Halo 4 or something like I could be a female like Spartan, but I'm never a female Spartan mm -hmm. because I just want to 
like kick other guys' ass in that game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's really interesting, Mike, because I I heard a lot of mastery in you talking about your game experience. Um, and I tried to count, and I think I got about six times you said, I beat this game, insert whatever game you were talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, my, my whole thing is, I mean, I really approach games, I mean, I'm envious of Matt in a way, because he has so many friends that, that you know, he just, that he sort of found in high school and college that he could enjoy and play games with. And I don't know if it's because I'm just a little older or just because of the crowd that I played, you know, that, that I was with. But a lot of my friends have grown out of playing games at this point in their lives. So, uh, and, you know, going through college and stuff, there were a couple guys that played games and stuff. But I was it was pretty much like on my own finding people to compete with online. Right. So, you know, I wish I had friends who who played games and stuff. But because of that, uh, you know, I've. I mean, even though I'm playing online against other people, it's very much a solitary experience. And I sort of approach it like I do watching a movie or anything. It's like I want to experience the game and I want to beat it. Right. I want to complete the game, complete the story, understand like everything that I had to offer. And I and then I like to move on and, you know, leave it behind now. Mm -hmm. Unless it's unless it's a game like Halo 4 where you're sort of playing just to compete. Right. You know, it's almost like a sport. Right, right. And it has a different a different motivation. Well, well, then that's part of part of what came out of finding the gamer types when I did the research was looking at motivation and looking at why people play and why they make the choices that they play. Now, one of the things that Matt had ha had asked about women who play male avatars, and I, I found that most the the largest group of people that I talked to were were female self players, and female self players will play female avatars because part of the game experience for them is being able to see themselves as the powerful hero that they are in game. And that's a really important component of it. The women who are more likely to pay, play male avatars were role players who were creating identities and creating backstories for those characters. And so they'd go in game purposefully yeah. as, you know, as wanting to play a male character because that was the story that they wanted to write as they were. Right, exactly. Playing. And a lot and a lot of those games will take into account your gender mm -hmm. when you come across certain decisions. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like oh, yeah. You know, yeah, like, Fallout is fascinating. You look at the difference in how how, um, how you're treated between being a male and a female avatar in that game. It's really, right. it's really interesting, you know, watching, oh, you know, they'll call the girls sweetie or whatnot, or they wouldn't, you know, call them the male boy, you know, <laughs> that as well. So, well, yeah, yeah, my wife's not here, but I can tell you that she's definitely a self gamer, because mm -hmm. all of her rock band characters look almost, you know, pretty identical to her, mm -hmm. given the fact that, you know, Rock Band doesn't have the most involved, you know, <laughs> avatar customization, you know, right. they're all sort of like rock. But yeah, she definitely spends just about as much time fine tuning her avatar in that and getting new clothes and costumes that she does in real life. So nice. yeah, well, Matt, can you think of uh, think of any one of the female avatars you've had? Can you think of at the time you were creating the avatar, possibly why you decided to make that avatar female at the time? I, I guess it's pretty much more of a uh, just like creating like an ideal fantasy role female character, I mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. um, I had That's this conversation. I had this conversation with a friend recently about feminism and games or or. or, or misogyny in games and all this stuff. And we started talking about that exact topic about character creation and things like that. And it got me thinking about all that. But th that's kind of what it boils down to is like if I 
wanted to, you know, be a, if I'm attracted to women with short hair, I may make a short hair avatar. I don't know that's why I'm doing it, but that could be a reason. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, that sort of, it's still an idealized, you know, uh, persona, you know. Yeah. It's it's a fantasy, like Mm -hmm. a fantasy driven decision. Right. It's interesting because a lot of, a lot of the male gamers will give reasons like, you know, female avatars have smaller builds, so they're harder to hit in PvP. And, you know, very common answer is, um, oh, well, I'm staring at the back of an avatar for how many hours? Why would I want to stare at a male's butt? You know, that kind of, those kinds of responses. I appreciate the depth in your response. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, I mean, it's, it's I, as you can tell, it's a topic I, I'm, I'm interested yeah, in. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad to know that, you know, that we're not the only people who are oh. having these conversations, because that's fantastic. Well, I, Regina, I don't know if you've got any more questions questions or not but we're really yeah, um, I know. <laughs> it always ends so fast it gets, I know. It gets so interesting it's but so much we, fun especially when you have really engaging you know people to talk to so <laughs> yeah um have you you guys got any uh thing you want to leave us with or ca- you've got uh a twitter handles you want us to leave with our listeners or anything to connect up with indie game what is um it's going to be april 29th when our listeners hear this uh what kind of games are you guys going to be featuring on indie game stand yeah well uh i actually looked this up when you guys emailed me so on april 29th we're actually going to have uh you know of the deals that we've got scheduled it's actually one that i'm looking forward to more because uh it's going to be it's actually going to be the third sale um, from Digital Eel. They're an indie game developer up from Seattle and they're going to be we're going to be featuring their game Data Jammers and it's mm-hmm. it's available on Steam. Um, but for beating the average price, uh, you're going to get another shot at their game Weird Worlds, which is in our top games list and was actually at PAX. Ooh. So oh, wow. if you beat the average, you'll be able to get Weird Worlds and their other game uh, Brain Pipe. So it's sort oh, of wow. a you you have the option of sort of getting a great deal on three indie games, uh, you know, for beating the average price from Digital Eel nice. on the 29th of April. So it's kind of a little a little package. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Uh, it, it may be one of our best sales, I think. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean, Weird Worlds yeah. is Weird Worlds is like definitely in our top ten. I don't remember exactly what number it is, but you're gonna you know you can potentially get that game again along with some others because we have. You know, he now has the advantage of having this system that we put in place where developers can package their games, their other games, as bonus content. Before, we could never do that. Um, or we sort of had to do it in a sort of not great way. So that was something that we fixed and programmed around uh, a while ago. As far as Twitter handles go, um, you know, indie, we're at Indie Game Stand on Twitter. So if you want to... Okay. Uh, Matt and I both will monitor and post to that. So, um, you know, you can ask us questions there or whatever you want. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. I noticed when you register on the, on your website that you guys have got, um, notices and newsletters and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which is really nice. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the only other thing I can think that's coming up is, um, this Friday, um, uh, we're actually going to be doing an ask me anything on Reddit. Dan and I will be cool. So, uh, that's going to be at 11 AM this Friday. Um, All right. You know, we'll go, we'll probably go to like 2 p.m. or something. I mean, how, depending on how active the threat is, mm-hmm. um, we'll try to stick with it for as long as possible. And uh, is that I'll Eastern be, time? Yeah, it's Eastern time. And, and I'll be hosting it. But um, Dan said as long as he gets up in time, you know, he'll stop by. And <laughs> I'm sure if Matt's available, not in New York City, you know, he may stop by as well. We're all really active on Reddit. So 
Yeah, and the, the one thing I just wanted to add on top of that um, is we want the community to get involved. So please join the forums, send me personal emails, send Mike personal emails, anything we can do um, to really engage the audience. We select the games based on what our community suggests. Uh, yeah, that's really a, true. Yeah, we have a growing IRC channel, which is crazy. I'm talking to people all day at work on IRC. Um, I'm working on a, doing a Twitch stream uh, shortly cool. for community members. And it, really, that's what we want to see is more involvement. And, and please, just get involved. Send us games. Tell us games you like, you don't like. Complain. Make, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever. You know, we just want to... And, and, it, and as far as suggesting games go, um, we do... It's not widely publicized, but if you sort of dig in the forums, you'll see that we posted about this. But if you're the... If you suggest an indie game that we end up featuring, you will get that game for free. Yeah. All I have to do is oh, all I have wow. to do is send Matter me a message on the forums, and we'll we'll uh, PM you back a, a game key to unlock that game. Oh, and right I mean, you can you can you can buy the game and give it to a friend. I mean, you can do whatever you want with the key once we send it to you. Mm -hmm. But um, you are entitled to um, you know that key. The only caveat I would say is make sure that you make sure that you search and. Verify that that game hasn't been uh, suggested already because we have had a couple repeats and we've had to delete or merge the uh, topics. Right. So, you know, don't just submit a game saying, oh, I've submitted it. You've got to be the first person to submit it. You know, you, we're not going to have 10 people submitting, you know, Monaco. You have to have the first person to have their hand up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the more active you are, the more you monitor it and the more you sort of discover cool indie games. Um, you know, sort of the better shot you've got at that. So that's awesome. It's still, I'm delighted to hear you guys are are actively trying to build a community around this because I think that that's really powerful. So good job. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like I mentioned, you know, we really, you know, on the on the gamer side of things, we want to uh, listen to your feedback and your game suggestions, and we want to get games that you think are awesome. So you'll tell your friends about it and help us grow our site and the indie game scene in general. And then for indie game developers. From a sort of business standpoint, we're always focusing on uh, being, we want to be like a tool and resource for them. So, right. you know, if you need funding or money or marketing, those are all things we can help with. And our developer portal is really easy to use. Um, and every developer that's used it's given us positive feedback. You know, in some cases, <laughs> in some cases, very, very positive feedback. So we appreciate that. And uh, if there's anything we're missing in that portal, you know, you should let us know if you're a game developer and we'll certainly add it. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, we can't say enough about the no. the website. Yeah. So it, even just for the for the list and checking out uh, titles, uh, the website's just really easy to use. And yeah, we do. We really appreciate you guys being on the show. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for coming and chatting with us today. No, thank you. Thank you guys. Very thanks much. for having us. listening to Game On Girl. I'm the co-host Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O-R-H-O-O-M. And email me, Rhonda, at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz, as I'm known on Twitter and Steam. Many, many thanks to Matt and Mike from Indie Game Studios for coming on the show and chatting with us today. We had a fantastic time talking to them and a really great, really dynamic interview. And I really do think we need to figure out how to have them on the show again. <laughs> oh, yeah. We need to put that in the bucket of things that we need to do. Anytime where we regret, you know, the show ending, we, yeah. we need to just have 
a repeat. Pretty much, pretty much. So we'll, we'll be getting back in touch, guys, with having you back on the show again. So thanks, and definitely make sure to go out, check out IndieGameStand.com, and follow them on Twitter, and do all the social media things that you know you need to do um, to support them, because it's a really great thing that they're doing out there. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. If you use a Windows phone, we are also available via Podcast Lounge. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, get your indie game on.